Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Shoes We Biscuit podcast. It's me again, it's Alex Whiteley. And today I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to uh, a group of guys that, that I've been dying to, we've been, as a show, we've been dying to get uh, you guys on the show yeah. for a while. I think Shane started the, it broke the ice. February, I think. February, yeah. And then all the, all the, the world went crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that we've finally managed to put this together. But I'm speaking to Amanda Jones and Robert Douglas from Shropshire Supports Refugees. Thank you so much for coming to sit with us. Thank you for asking us. I sit us. It's me. There's no other biscuitiers here today. Ah. You know, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. Honestly, we love it. Um, now, with this show, um, I both... Of course, I absolutely support what you want to do, but I want to talk about a bit about sort of... Because you deal with refugees and there the, are the, the languages and words that people use that create stigmas when it comes to people coming into the country. Uh, this has been covered from day one on the Shrewsbury Biscuit uh, with uh, Simon Bell, who came on to talk to us about uh, oh, rhetoric. He's, he's amazing. He's one of our volunteers. Is he? Oh, I'm not surprised. Great. Not surprised. Um, because um, there, there, there are certain uh, ways people react when they hear about people coming into their country. You know, they get very protective. And I want to clear some of that up today. I think that's that's fair, isn't it? You we'll know, do our best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I just explained to Amanda that we we are very transparent on the show, and she said, "Well, when I get asked how how I started with this, I kind of ramble on a bit, which is really important to do so because you need to add a bit of context to why you do this and where you started from." So, if uh, she said, "You need to put your hand up and stop me at a certain point," so if <laughs> please if do the, if the listeners do hear me being a little bit abrupt and going stop that's why i've been asking there's a book at my head i'll let you all know um and i thought i'd let you know as well that i've just literally dropped to one bar on my h6 so if i do have to stop at some point and we change the batteries that's just that we'll just have to do that <laughs> that's okay <laughs> this is just a warning um uh, so amanda uh, lovely. what a lovely authentic way to start the yeah. interview and i am a massive fan of that and um we have been interviewing people this week for someone and I've started off just like that. Look, it's chaotic. It's, there's no structure here, you know, but this is us and exactly. you're, either, you're in for a penny and for a pound. So, yeah, thank I've just you. just interviewed um, a guy, Lee, from uh, the new taxi service, Now Cars, that just rolled, rolled into town and he was like, he's a big guy. He was like, oh, I'm really nervous. I'm really scared. I was like, just sit down. We'll turn the mics on. It's, that's mm. all it is. It's just a conversation. Imagine we're in a pub or a cafe or something. That's what this is. Yeah. That's what I like it yeah. to be. So, yeah, um, I, I totally get how people are interested in um, how and why I started doing this because I like to tell the story so that people feel that it's completely in their reach to do something similar in whatever area they're interested or passionate about. Um, and this is how the world changes, isn't it? Grassroots people on the ground deciding mm-hmm. what matters and what's important and then holding up an umbrella to see who else feels the same. Yes. And then you move it on from there. And everything we've done has been very organic, and it has been in reaction to um, and in response to either requests or offers um, from the public. So, um, so I started back in 2015 when I was at home with a two-year-old and watching the godforsaken news and it was all at the time about the the Syrian war and the stuff going on in the Middle East and um you know I kind of you just get numb and immune to that don't you yes as you as you grow up British news is just full of it. So you just don't pay much attention to it eventually. You just go, oh, think, it's not my problem. I think the news got kind of careless. 
They oh. just, they, 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 I mean, like, I'm used to that kind of, uh, is rhetoric the right word? But the behavior of, of, of foreigners, especially since I met my wife, mm. um, everybody on the biscuit will know my wife is from Colombia. She's not from around here. So sometimes she'll be treated differently or, you know, you'll mention to someone, my wife is Colombia and they'll be like, oh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, oh, cocaine. And, all sorts. and it's horrible. Mm. My wife has nothing to do with drugs. Nothing. Mm. To, she hates it. Right. So there is, there is, but the news, they kind of started using words that you wouldn't normally, wouldn't normally see in the news, like, you know, oh. tidal wave and uh, migrate, you know, the migration type. They must have got, opened up a, a thesaurus and gone, what words can we use to, to you know, describe mm. this? And they were kind of putting ideas in people's heads, weren't they? Absolutely. And they continue to do so. But I don't believe that that stuff is by accident. No. I no, think no. it's, um, there's a lot more... Um, serious stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about but you know what goes out on the news and what doesn't go out on the news is very dictated by somebody somewhere and it's across the board isn't it you know so um i hadn't paid too much attention to it for some reason i saw footage that really got me and i think being pregnant uh, sorry being fresh mum yeah hormonal Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it really got to me, and that was footage of seeing uh, thousands of people walking on motorways in Europe, dragging children, little children, babies, old people, carrying their parents with everything they had in the world in their hands. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember thinking, God, I could never get my son to walk across a field, let alone across Europe and across um, the world. How, you know how are they doing that? I felt so sorry for them. And, mm. you know, I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't just opening their doors as they were passing and going, come and stay in our spare room. You know, it would just be the most logical thing for me because I'm a little bit naive like that. Of course, it's far more complicated than that. And when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people turning up in a city, I think they must have been on their way to, to Germany or something. I think it was in some European company yeah. country. But it also just really... Um, brought it home to me how close this was now and that um, possibly there would be something we could do, you know, to help. You know, if if it's over in the Middle East or if it's in Africa or if it's the other side of the world, you do feel powerless to a certain degree. Like, what can we do from here? Um, But when it's coming to your doorstep, wow, I just felt like I really wanted to do something. So I I spent, I I went slightly mad and spent days and weeks researching everything I could do and what I couldn't do from Shrewsbury. Yeah. And obviously very little from where I was. Um, but I found out that they were all um, collecting in Calais. So there was at the time about 10,000 people in Calais. And there was children and families and it was in mud and squalor and the police were being vile and tear gassing them and really allowing There's far right... That they were stuck behind a barricade for days, weren't they? Oh, they have just been hit with rubber bullets horrible. and stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, inhumane. Um, and so I thought, Calais not that far. I know what I can do. I could probably raise some money and take some stuff down there. I'd like to maybe get a caravan for one of the families that was living in mud. And and then I just spent another couple of weeks and months researching how I was going to do that. And then I did, I looked at my own sort of circles of resources and friends, and I knew a lot of artists and a lot of musicians. And I had a little bit of experience of working, you know, in, in events and um pubs and stuff like that so I put on a um a fundraiser at the loopy shrew 
and uh, it was a real hit. There was hundreds of people turned out and I couldn't believe the response that I got from the local businesses and the local people really who all wanted to be a part of it. So the prizes were extraordinary for the raffle and the auctions and um, I think we had three bands playing and we had a a magician walking around doing table magic and... um, you know, the, the tickets came with a free drink and it was just a lovely night and we raised three and a half thousand pounds, which um, wow. was amazing in one night, yeah, wasn't it? But great. that just gave me a sense of um, <clears throat> how much passion there was in the town, really, because um, I was inundated with offers and still am to this day inundated with offers. So at the time, there was probably 30 of me, me and my friends that did that. And now there's um, 1,090 something people in the Facebook group that I started. And of course, since then, I've turned it into an organization. And through reacting to um, need, like I said, requests, need, gaps in services um, and, and offers from organizations, individuals, businesses, it's grown to quite a size really which I literally can't manage it on my own anymore so I have to apologize now to all professionals volunteers (laughs) potential volunteers and anyone who's ever worked with me or ever will work with me I have been so slow in the last well since lockdown really it's been a case of everything has slowed right down so it's picking up again now though yes I I, I definitely uh, Yeah. yeah I understand that because that's what's happened with the biscuit that's why i had to get everybody in shane and everybody because it was just it's just it's too much it was too much yeah i mean i had to also work from home with a six-year-old right up until september and so you go home ed and then run an organization so it was very difficult to start anybody up new stuff or or follow through on any new projects it was really just sort of treading water really but it's all going now so that was a real whistle stop i really tried to make that quick whistle stop tour on how i started off um, just with a good intention and I've now ended up with an organisation that I'm really proud of and we are, we're just formalising things and going to the next level. So, I mean, um, I, I, I joined Amanda about a year ago and yeah. I can honestly say it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. High five. So, you know, I've got a 30-year career in education um, but this is the best job I've ever done. Oh, that's um, good. You know, I... I came on board because I found it incredibly disempowered as a citizen, you know, watching what was going on, what could I do? Um, and the way that government policy has, has gone over the last 15 years or so in terms of um, it, Britain being having been what I felt was a very welcoming country to something that is I don't recognise anymore. I really don't. And, you know, the whole Brexit debate has shaped a whole sense of... Um, fear. Fear, yeah. Mm. Fear of mm. other cultures, other people. And, and it just... Uh, I felt so incredibly disempowered. Um, and I wanted to find... That's beautiful. Though. You know, a route that I could um, do something to push against that and say no you know this is not where we should be going Um, we should be welcoming people into this country we should be helping them we should be embracing them and embracing that whole cultural mix that um, you know we have a history of and it seems to me 
the barriers are just going up and we've got to fight against that really have got to fight against it i think it's really important and like i don't necessarily have anything against people that have never negative feelings about refugees and foreigners because i feel like these are people that don't understand they don't understand mm. that they're in a position where they don't quite see all all of the aspects to the story they they've got their friends saying this the family saying that and they've they've got no choice but to feel a certain way to think a certain way but i think if, if we could find a way to reach out to people and actually show them actually yeah. show them what's actually happening like there's a difference between an immigrant and, and, a, and a refugee a refugee is someone that's literally Absolutely. running from their life you know yeah. Uh, and you know when you hear the, the the words that they were using to describe this the, this armada of people just you know moving through Europe, um, I can't remember some of the words, but I think we've we've covered it before on the show. Tidal wave, tidal wave, yeah, and just a negative kind of invasion. Uh, yeah, yeah, all these all these sort of things. They shouldn't it, be allowed to do that. Sh- there should be. You get into real big trouble in a business if you're discriminatory or. Um, yes. um, racist or and how can they get allowed to do that it's just shocking there's no there's no um regulations is there yeah and this isn't a, a term I, I use to offend anybody that does feel that way because if you do feel that way and you and you would like to sort of understand more then please do so but mm-hmm. I, I describe it to squirrels protecting their nuts right yeah because <laughs> it's just an easy way of describing it because that's it's what the, is that essentially what it is the mm. fear of losing out because other people are coming yeah. you know oh well you know i'm quite um interested in psychology always have been and um there's a certain mindset and it fits very well with the capitalist system mm. and unfortunately certain parties mm. hold a flag up to it and it's this me and mine mm-hmm. and um, and that's it. Look after myself. Look after number one and hoard. Hoard things. Hoard mm. money. Hoard houses. Hoard uh, resources. It's all ours, mine. More, 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 more. And it's the capitalist system. And it's not working, is it? Because there's now billions of people that are in poverty across the world, whilst there's just a very few people in a nice, comfortable his- situation. <laughs> and then you've got the really tiny 1% who are just taking the to be quite fair. Um, and so this is the reason why all of this is happening. Right. There is a, an extraordinarily unfair distribution of wealth and food and resources in a world where there's room for everybody. Yes. There's enough stuff for everybody. There's enough of everything for everybody. And there's great big areas of countries that aren't even populated, but because of the capitalist system and the way that we've all been forced to gravitate towards cities and large areas where commerce and production is going on. Long gone are the healthy communities, the villages that look after each other, that make sure everybody's got a role and everybody's got a purpose and everybody looks after each other and then they share. That is the only way of life that looks after everybody. And so whether you call them a migrant or an immigrant or a refugee or an asylum seeker, to me they are all human beings with the exact same desires and needs as we've got to be healthy and happy and fulfilled and have our children healthy and happy and fulfilled and our parents looked and not after. be shot at yeah that would be good yeah. <laughs> less less of the shooting less of the starving less of the being exploited i mean slavery is bigger now than it ever was 200 years ago when it was legal there are millions of people i think there is an estimate of something like 33 million people in slavery today across the world 
That's usually an underestimation. So, you know, the same as the amount of people that are registered as drowning in the Mediterranean when they come across here, it's probably a tiny fraction of what the real figure is. Um, the global injustices are the cause of what is happening. And if you or I were born in a country, or even in a part of this country, where it was where poverty was rife, where there was not enough for anyone, then you would do anything you could to do a better life for, some, for yourself and your family, wouldn't you? And so when I see anybody with a face and two arms or even one arm, doesn't matter, a human being is a human being. Yes. And, um, and hue being the word for the way we measure light and being, being um, doing, isn't it? And, and inhabiting this body. So that's what we are. We are beings of light walking around trying to do the best for our family and for ourselves. And so because, um, unfortunately, there will always be people that want to exploit others, you know, the system has been geared towards that now. And it's a perfect system because us consumers at the end of the road, we don't bother looking into too much about how our products are created. Um, we all live in our bubbles, don't we? Everybody exactly. lives in a bubble. It's they? starting to get better, but yeah. yeah. You cannot separate all of that and the consumerism that's been going on from what's happened and um wars or not wars are commercially led wars are wars are money making um industries industries yeah. yeah and the people behind the wars the people that feed them the people that create them that stir up all that problems that um that you know the, the arms dealers the oil magnates the the people that are really benefiting from these wars will continue to do that because it it does them you know Mm. It does them good. It does their businesses good. So wars will never end, unfortunately. But people can rise up against it and act like human beings and help each other out, regardless of what's going on. So it's a it's a it's a troubling situation because we had Phil Gittins on the show a few weeks ago, and we were talking about <coughs> peace and conflict and how how you deal with these situations. And I I was asking these questions. I, I felt like I had no right asking him because like. If he had the answers, if anybody had the answers, then we wouldn't be at war. We wouldn't be doing this, you know, this It's thing. not people that go to war, though, is it? No, of course it's not. No. It's, a, it's a terrible situation. Um, and there, it's... <laughs> I think there's always been a stigma in the UK when it, from what I, you know, pop culture and movies and growing up and seeing all these sort of things around, um, you know, phrases that I use that you kind of grow up with. Like, you know, the corner shop was always called the... Pea yeah. shop, you know, I'm not going to say it. I because, had a gollywog. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's no other word for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's these things that you, you, you are, your group, you're brought up around, but uh, yeah. that was kind of, that, it's not accepted. I don't accept it now. But even back then, they weren't using it as a hateful, like Facebook is, 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 is a tool for, like when, the, when there was that, uh, the guy that drowned on the, in the channel tunnel, because I think he was in the channel, uh, the, the English channel, I think he was trying to get away from the UK or something. I don't even think he was trying to come in. Blame him. <laughs> and the the heat. Oh, good. Honestly, I nearly cried. I nearly cried. Honestly, and I had to take a break from Facebook because I saw all this and I was just like, mm. like, like, like you, Robert. I can't do anything. What can mm. I do? I mean, I yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think um, you know, I um, grew up in the seventies and eighties, and although things were difficult I don't feel it was as intolerant as it feels now mm -hmm. I don't think the language um, 
you're right, I think social media has made it so much easier for people to um, voice their opinions in ways that just couldn't be voiced then. Um, But I I didn't feel quite that that it was... It was more as intolerant in terms of that cultural mix, and you know, we 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 talked a lot about. So, you know, I worked in education, and we talked a lot about multiculturalism and how did we bring a multicultural element into the curriculum, and you know, that was very much talked about. Um, and then the national curriculum came in, and that sort of began to close it down a little mm-hmm. bit. But I don't know. I always felt as I was going through my working life and growing up, that it was a tolerant society I was living in. But I think I, it depends on where I you come from. I don't quite feel that anymore. But yeah, what your, what your own personal experiences were. Yeah, it were. does. I was oblivious. I was oblivious of anything. Um, I mean, I'm caught Chinese for a start. My dad's Chinese, half Chinese. So I grew up in that multicultural sort of environment, not, mm-hmm. not questioning anything. Um, never faced any prejudice or racism and then went to live in Italy for four years where I went to an international school so it's 30 something different nationalities that went to that school so I'm, I'm one of those people that used to not see color and used to not really register mm-hmm. different anything different it was just normal for me and now since the Black Lives Matters movement it's become obvious why that's not okay either and actually it's only in very recent years that I've realized why that's not okay and I think what happened in the 80s in particular was it um, that it was out of our sight and out of our mind but it was still going on and our country has um, welcomed waves of people in different times through different circumstances you know in the 50s I think it was the um, the drive to bring over Afro-Caribbean people, wasn't it? And then in the 60s, there was a drive to bring over Indian people. And um, I was too young to notice all of that, to be honest. And then I think there was a bit of a gap in the 80s where they, they basically our country focused on demolishing other people's countries and kept it out of our sight. And, you know, it wasn't reported that much. It was just... It was Kosovo May- and stuff in the 90s. Yeah. And stuff, okay. Kosovo and... Yeah, okay, it was all going on, but not necessarily in our country. Yeah. And then now I think it's the first time in recent decades where we've had another wave of, in, of um, incoming people through you know, a planned programme. I don't know if there was one in the 80s. I don't remember it because I was too busy clubbing and having a good time mm. in my capitalist, beautiful Double. first world country where, you know, you don't go, f- you know, without. So I was oblivious. And um, but I'm pretty sure the world was still in a horrible position. But this is what I was talking about earlier, isn't it? Is that, you know, the people, there are people out there that, that don't understand mm. and they will just gravitate to, to, to the language that they're surrounded by. So like, you know, like you said, you, 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 you looked at how you looked at things and then you realise, oh, actually, maybe there's a different way of doing things. And that's what people need to do, I think. You know, it's, it's not, you're not wrong. No. You know, you okay, you maybe you've done things wrong, but yeah. It's, you can always learn, can't you? And exactly. I've seen how, I think we've all seen recently how not addressing other people's racism like living in our own little bubble of oh I'm all right and my mates aren't racist so I'm not really going to bother looking around because I'm not feeling like being an activist right now it doesn't affect me Mm. that 
isn't acceptable anymore because look at what's happened. It's just ballooned, hasn't yeah. it? When people have been turned distracted by bright lights and funny television programs and getting the latest gadget and gaming and all these things that are great distractions stop us looking at what's really going on underneath. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's a, um, a coincidence either. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, um, it, it, it is convenient. a distraction. It is a distraction. Mm. And I, 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 sometimes I kind of I kind of have to have that kind of distraction. Not the uh, the gaming or anything. I don't really play on it. We all have distractions. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it's, it's I cool. get stuck into this, 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 this the, the podcast and the editing sort of thing because I think I think when it comes to social, I, I, I would love to just delete Facebook. Yes. I would love to, but I can't because everything runs it's on that It's the same now. as me. Yeah. Um, I would, but I have to take a break sometimes, you know, because it gets a bit too much. I don't really watch the news because it's not good for me. <laughs> I had to stop receiving updates from all of the organizations and groups that I was getting updates from when I was doing all my research because they're so harrowing, horrible, harrowing footage of people being treated worse. Well, no, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, so I think mm. animals get treated bad as well, but no different to how we treat animals, just treating them like herds of people that we don't care about, that don't have emotions. Mm. The things I saw, I'm not even going to be able to say on this podcast because they're so horrific. And all I ended up doing was giving myself literally a condition, a a knackered my my nervous system up and um, I'm still dealing with that really hard stuff to see yeah. it was awful and mm. i'm a sensitive person hence being doing what i'm doing and being a vegetarian i do those things because i get affected very easily by other people's suffering and so um i had to stop all that and just link up with the organizations across the country and the world that are doing something positive and that's the good thing because you know you've both said what can we do? And that's the feeling that a lot of people have. And then I think an organisation like ours holds that umbrella up and goes, well, you can do this, you know? And the first thing I did was, well, you can collect clothes, you can raise money, you can bring toys for people that haven't got anything. You can, um, you can do fundraisers, you know, you can offer your services, you can offer your time, you can spread the word, you can, start your own thing up yeah, you yeah. know there's so many or little even, things or even just start a place where um you offer like a place where a certain language and behavior is acceptable and you can kind of talk about these issues i yeah. mean that's just as important you know because yeah. it might help people understand the situation a bit better you know? absolutely and it is like you said it's education and it's ignorance and it's not if you if the only source of information that you get is what's on the front pages of the newspapers or what comes up on your television then you are missing 90% of the actual real mm. stuff that's happening in the yeah. world. I get the um, positive news magazine every um I think it's every couple of months it comes to my door. And that is just a breath of fresh air. And I don't know, I think it started in Shropshire, didn't it? Somebody said. I don't know. I think that's, Shropshire's that's cool. just a absolute bed of change makers. Um, that's why I do what I do yeah. people are like I mean I know I, I like to talk about the positive stuff and we'll get to the positive stuff in a sec guys but like <laughs> well, I like to talk, I like to promote things I like to yeah. tell, talk about the good I just spoke to a guy who's just started a taxi firm like you yeah. know it's like it sounds daft but people like that hyper localization you know that, that's yeah that's, and you've had people on here who I am proud to say I'm you know I know and I work with mm. and you know the likes of Phil Gittins the likes of Simon. Phil Gill the likes of um, Dean Harris, the mayor, 
keep whacking things today. Sorry. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, and I can't, you know, the ARC, there's just so many an incredible initiatives in this town and across the county. Um, there's so much compassion and empathy and there is spare cash. People do have a bit of money in this town and they use that responsibly, you know, and businesses that support initiatives and fundraisers and um, charitable organizations you know people like storage king who've given me free storage for three years i mean that is not cheap yes. and i could not do what i do without them mm. um because yeah, i was looking at your the partners and the website now yeah. the people that you've got I mean, the, the Shropshire Cycle Hub, I'm a trustee on their group. They are changing the way things are happening around here for what's, the environment, you know. And um, What's Chalk? Chalk. Chalk, yeah. They were an organisation in Oswestry Street that started working with people with mental health, weren't they, um, who wanted to um, get... Um, are you looking on my old website, aren't you? I was trying it's to think. The hey. purple one. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to help people get into their own businesses or start work again. And I think they, I didn't, I don't know, I'm telling you a little bit of what I think I know about them. Um, <laughs> Put you on the spot. Hey, what's I this? think it's it's merged or it's changed into something designs, people designs, oh, I can't remember now, they're in Oswestry as well. <laughs> Doing the same kind of thing. Um, working with people's potentials, giving them yeah. a hand, a lift yeah. up, you know, and really that's what, that's what we do as in the same way as a lot of these organizations do it's those that have helping those that haven't got yet to get what they've got and so it's sharing resources sharing funds sharing access to opportunities advice help guidance you know um it's 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 that movement of an energy yeah, you know, and caring yeah, yeah. and so they, they were a great organisation who right at the beginning helped us out, um, a lady called Liz, who still helps the refugees out there in her own time. So, yeah. I think that's amazing. Can we talk about um, sort of Shrewsbury and, and kind of the refugees around, that are here, that are here, that yeah. are, do we have job refugees? Because you guys work with them closely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you guys do with them? So what we've done with them has changed over the, over the years because... Um, you know, when I started out, I got asked to help. So someone from the, the, the council, they were putting together a team of cross-party representatives to discuss how they were going to resettle the refugees. Um, we'd agreed as a country to bring 20,000 people over. And as a county, we'd agreed to bring over 20 families. I think it was 20 families. Um, or maybe 23 families. I can't remember. Um, so I was invited to support Refugee Action, who had been commissioned to do the formal resettling for year one. And Refugee Action put together little welcome groups of locals to support the families when they've gone as well. And so I was asked to be a local uh, support group for the Shrewsbury families that were coming. At the time, there was only going to be three. And five, um, five families had already arrived in Oswestry, um, but I wasn't aware of that um, at the time. So I did my little collection. I did my f rallying up my friends and um, we collected stuff. And then I realized they didn't have things like televisions and, oh, I don't know, kitchen appliances that a lot of us take for granted that would have made it hard for them to recreate the food that they're used to eating. Mm -hmm. So I got them the funds to pay for them to have a TV, to have some extra toys for the children, um, things like food processors, chip pans, um, big pans that they use to cook 
you know, for the whole family. Yes, yes. The, the things that they got from the resettlement um, team were the basics, but I thought, why not let them have some what may be considered luxuries? Why not? They've mm. gone through mm. enough. Who cares? You Give know. the kids a PlayStation. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, why not? Them, why, why, yeah. These mums have had enough to deal with. Why not make their lives as easy as possible when they're here? So yeah. we end up raising between 350 and 450 pounds for each family that come, and I spend it on whatever they want me to spend it on. Even if they want a panini maker, I don't care. Have a bloody panini maker. <laughs> I would want one. so and the money's coming from the people and the people who can afford it so so that's what we did um and then more family I thought that was going to be it to be honest but then more families were coming and I was asked to do the same thing again so we devised different ways of raising money and did some fundraisers and um and started to collect stuff at Storage King so um and I'm not, I'm not the first people that had done this, by the way. I got a lot of um, inspiration from hearing a lady on Radio Shropshire called Kate Badano, who'd um, done a collection of stuff for Calais and took a caravan down to Calais before me. And um, a number of local ladies that are now part of our group were helping her to do that. So I'm not going to take credit for being the first people that did anything with refugees in this there county. There was inspiration there, yeah. She inspired me. Because yeah. I remember hearing it on the radio and going, wow, she can do it. I can do it. And then um, that's, what, that's what happened. So I've lost the track of what we were saying. Um, <laughs> it was something talk about the families and what you guys do. How with, we developed, uh, yeah. yeah. And so once I'd done that for one lot of families we did it for the next lot of families but we also stayed in touch with the families and we found out that they really wanted people to help them to speak English and um, they were getting a basic couple of hours a week English um, from the local authority sort of side of things Um, but they needed more and they needed practice and they needed friends and so I was like very naive but I just said who you know he wants to do a bit of that and people stepped up and it worked really well you know a lot of the people that got involved four years ago are still friends with the families now they're proper good friends they're not volunteers they're friends so I wanted it to be like that I didn't want it to be really formal I didn't want it to be here's us and there's you and here's a form you need to fill out and you know so we can have a conversation just wanted yeah. them to be friends um and I'm you know I was quite lucky that nothing awful happened out of that situation but I used my own discernment and I made sure that I did everything I could to 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 know that the people that were doing it were good people and safe and um, I have a background of working in care and so I've got a kind of you know that safeguarding safeguarding thing about me so it's worked out well anyway but now it's formalized because obviously as an organization we have to do things formally so this was when I was a volunteer and I was doing it all as a as a bog standard person <laughs> not an organization i love that i, I want to get involved cool get on board i want to get involved because mm. you know i've talked about i've talked about you know my wife and, and the mm. difficulties that she's had and i i mean these guys have i've come from war-torn countries i mean what's it like for a family to come from somewhere where they used to like being scared mm. terrified yeah to come into somewhere like shrewsbury do you know what? it's a different type of terror Mm. It really is, because the IOM, the Immigration, no, International Organization of Migration, do a talk on this. It's called Culture Shock that they go through. And it isn't just a little bit of a, oh, isn't it different here? It isn't that. It is a real roller coaster of highs and lows, excitement, disappointment, um, expectations, reality, you know, 
then you get to, you know, every part of their journey since the war started has been traumatic for them. So obviously being brought up in a country where war and dis- disorder and the government, you can't trust your own government. Um, there's a deep distrust of any authority that they rightfully have gained through life because in that country, if the police knock on your door, you're basically taken in and tortured until death or until you're basically a shadow of your former self. Yeah. You know, they have no trust in any authority figures. And they then develop their own strategies and techniques to cope. And so they get very close to the people that they know. They don't necessarily trust outsiders. They don't trust even people that come from the next town sometimes because if they had a different political point of view to them, they could be the reason why their whole family get murdered. You know, it's when you you can't imagine being in an, in, an, in a country like that, can you? Mm. And living like that. Mm. But the that's built into them from a very young age. So a lot of the people that have come over to Shropshire had to leave education at a very early age because of the war or because of their culture. You know, a lot of the women don't necessarily stay in school um, and, and for a long time. You know, they leave when they're in their te- 13 or 14. Not always. This is just some... Um, a lot of the men were forced to go out and work from the age of nine for survival. Crazy. You know, it, crazy. So they don't have that... Um, necessarily obviously Syria is a big country and there's lots of different areas and some parts were more urban than others and some parts were more rural and different areas have certain traditions and you know there are parts of Syria that are very sort of I guess look a little bit more like like one of our cities you know and I think what happened but I'm not sure but I think a lot of those people from the cities that had quite a lot of money that were educated that to a high standard that had a lot of English or even German got out early and went to places like Germany who opened up their doors mm. I think that that's what they were thinking as well you know those people are more likely to get back on their feet when they arrive somewhere they're a little bit more kitted out for that so there was you know a number of people that ended up having to escape um, under bombing or under gunfire that night um, with anything they can carry and their family and just run to the nearest border. So people ended up in different parts of the Middle East and ended up as refugees in Lebanon and Jordan and um, the likes of that, you know, Egypt, Turkey. So those guys have already been moved into these positions where they're in a refugee camp. The refugee camps, like all of them, start up as a bunch of people collecting with no resources, no food, no water, no clothes, no shelter. And then I guess locals would have put that in place and then the big the big NGOs would have moved in and now you've got these giant camps in Jordan mm. and Lebanon where there's millions of people <clears throat> living in tents. And some of our families were living in houses in Jordan and Lebanon because they just found work and they managed the best they could until it got to the point where... There were so many of them in those countries that the resentment builds up with the locals and the jobs aren't there and then the aggression starts and the social unrest starts. And then a lot of our families were faced with extraordinary racism and prejudice from those local people. So they tell me that Lebanon and Jordan was worse than Syria um, because they were treated like dirt. And um, some of the things that they had to do to get food and drink and to get the rent for their homes were 
atrocious. Um, you know, there's people still selling their kidneys, selling children. And this is why people trafficking has gone so high, because it's so easy now to traffic people. No one's monitoring it. No one really cares in that. In the, the powers that could do something about it don't seem to be doing anything about it. There was a figure like something like 10,000 children had had their kidneys stolen um, in Turkish camps alone because that's a form of currency now. Children are a form of currency. Sexual exploitation is a form of currency. Enslaving people is now an accepted part. Libya is a hotbed of of slavery. It's where all of the Africans have to basically get through Libya to get out, or South Sudan sometimes. So that's where you're getting all these global trafficking gangs, um, treating them worse than animals and most people don't get out of there alive you know so when you when you see people from africa that have come here and they've got here on the bottom of lorries they've got here on those awful dinghies they have experienced trafficking and abuse and violence and sexual violence and death Every single one of the asylum seekers in this county would have seen all of that and then thought that they were going to die many times to get here to safety. And then they've usually ended up being in Calais, which is like, you know, just as bad. So, um, yeah, I've heard horror stories. The horrors that they've been through is layer upon layer upon layer. But then when they get to Shrewsbury, it's like, okay, now we can relax a little bit. But that's when all the trauma comes out. That's the mental health process that happens. When you're in survival mode, you're coping. When you, have, when you stop doing that, it all comes out. So you're dealing with all of that and then they're expected to be able to just slip into our ways and our systems that are f- so unrecognisable to them. They don't have things like we have over here at all, you know, and the authority... Um, systems that are in place and the help social services social services the education system's unrecognizable i mean a lot of the children that did get education over there experienced the horrors of camp education where they were still using corporal punishment and humiliation and the the syrians had to go into lessons after the lebanese children got into lessons and they were treated with such disdain that you know a lot of the children starting in our education system were terrified to go in there terrified not least to sort of be separated from their parents in an environment where you know you may never see your parents again yeah some of that stuff is not necessarily thought about until someone like me goes to those schools and says by the way have you ever thought this this is what's going on um because they don't know you know and it's um it's a learning curve for everybody and so i find myself involved with services um organizations uh across the board anyone who works with these guys we all work together um where i try and inform them and and help ease the process really of integration so it's a very complex thing can i just say i think you're amazing oh, <laughs> thank you. right. honestly I, I, the passion in the mm. way you talk and the strength mm. in you is just unbelievable i have this um, fierce lioness inside me <laughs> i think it is unbelievable it's so powerful right absolutely that's mm. why i Oh, Robert's, <laughs> Robert's been a blessing though because you know one person cannot do it all and I have been 
cutting corners in areas that need to be addressed. And Robert's come in and brought some order to my life. And so it's, yes. it's been a wonderful well, merger. <laughs> and we are now in a position to be able to bring someone else on board to help that process and to put us in a position to be contract ready more um, for sort of local authority contracts rather than just grants, um, home office contracts. Um, we're upscaling our education, so we're going to hopefully be immigration advisors at some point um and so we're trying to just fill a gap in the county really and um and i want as many people on board as possible so i'd love to i'd love to help oh, out we, we are. Yeah, we could, away we, from the biscuit and away from the microphones things like that if we can me and my family if we could get to know another family and yeah. make them feel welcome i like that i really Great. think that's cool mm. um and yeah, because yeah, it's, it's such a. It, it, I always consider uh, a refugee coming somewhere like Shrewsbury as this beautiful thing with a, the a soap opera music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, when you put it into context oh, and when you talk about it, the trauma that they got to go through, the mental health. So let's talk about the mental health a little bit because oh, yeah. uh, what do you guys offer for for someone that's been through, got suffering from PTSD and oh, yeah. uh, probably wounds and mental health? You know, it's such it's such a tricky topic, and it's my main passion. Yes. I'll be quite honest, and I've got a bit of a therapeutic background, so I um, only did anything I've ever done because I wanted to help someone feel better. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to feel welcomed. I wanted them to know there was a group of people around them that welcomed them, that wanted them here, even if they did come across people that didn't, and then the racism and stuff wouldn't wouldn't hit them as hard because they would know there was a group of people here that did want them here, mm. you know? So that was the whole reason why I did everything. And um, I have made it my job to research myself to death on trauma. And I knew a lot about it anyway from working with children in, in the care system. So you'd get a certain amount of training about trauma and how it affects people, how it affects the way they learn, um, how it affects the way they integrate with communities, how it affects how they think about themselves, how they behave... Um, so I already had that underpinning sort of knowledge, did a bit of psychology at college and stuff. But this county, for no reason other than the fact that it hasn't really needed to, is <laughs> not really that equipped for dealing with the complex kind of war trauma that we're looking at. And it's not just war trauma. It's, like I said before, the trauma of um, resettling, the, the trauma of constantly being on the move the trauma of never knowing when you're safe when you're not safe that ongoing layers of trauma then the trauma of of um integrating into a society that is unrecognizable Mm -hmm. i mean we only have to imagine what it might be like to go and live in syria You, you know there's nothing really that close to our culture is it you know um Learning how to deal with people, learning how systems work, learning who does what, who to go to for what, and then having to learn a language that is so far removed from your own. You know, I can do a little bit of Italian, a little bit of German, a little bit of French, (laughs) but Arabic no way it's so hard to learn that robert wants to learn I it do don't want you to learn it. yeah and i think there's a couple of them teaching people that want to learn and you know just in a sort of voluntary way um but there's just so much so mental health is a really interesting point because um you know we've got our systems in the county that we think work for us and so we've got this whole knowledge of mindfulness now and 
um, self-awareness and um, the stigma is being reduced, isn't it, now? I think so, yeah. Slowly. Um, much more authentic talking about how we feel. And, um, you know, I'm going through some psychotherapy at the moment, which I'm finding fascinating. And I'm telling everyone I meet about it because I don't think that there should be a stigma about it at all. Not and at all. Not at all. I'm doing something called family um, internal family system stuff, which is telling me a lot about myself and why I do things and how I tick. And um, I think I touched on the fact that I developed a bit of a nervous sort of condition over the years. And I'm not sure if I could put it all down to this work, whether it was partly to do with my lifestyle beforehand, an accumulation of stress, um, overworking, whatever it is. But I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia about two years ago. And it shows itself in different ways and at different times. But basically, it can just be utter pain most days or it can be just exhaustion or it can be mind fog or it can be and I do think I've probably got a bit of ADD in me there and I think Mm. a lot of creatives do you know that's the creative brain and it's nothing to be ashamed of it's just a way of trying to work with the world that you have to find a way that works for everybody so I'm already interested in all of that but then I've also been through that experience of having what is basically amounts to a dysfunctional vagus nerve in your body. Your vagus nerve controls all your unconscious systems, your breathing, your bladder, your stomach, um, you know. And I've suffered from anxiety for most of my adult life and um, coped with that through the usual Western way of drinking and probably a few naughty little things in my time. Mm. Um, Just basically trying to appease that feeling of discomfort that you can't explain um and i've never really what had what i ex- would ex- would say was a traumatic childhood or anything like that but i still realize that what i've been through moving at a young age and all that sort of stuff is a sort of trauma you have to learn everything again you have to start from fresh um working with kids in the care system is traumatic it's violent it's scary you get no sleep you get into holds you're very physical you get attacked you know I got attacked three times in the last year that I worked in that job which is why I left and um, that affects you but you you know especially in that environment you're expected to pretend that you're calm at all times professional yeah, yeah, yeah and if you've got you know if you're trying to talk down somebody who's kicking off and um, becoming violent or about to throw themselves off a bridge or run off and you can't find them and you're having to pretend that you're calm. Calm yourself down, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're basically just burying all your stress and anxiety and then you wonder why afterwards your vagus nerve is going, what is going on? Um, and so you get symptoms and sleep is affected and if you're not sleeping properly, you're not healing properly. Um, it's all so interconnected and I could see over time through educating myself how I've probably developed this condition and what I need to do to fix it now fixing it is another matter so it took doctors and and, and hospital specialists god knows how many appointments I had and how many things I had scanned and blood tests and poked and prodded and you know when you've got headaches that last for months you think oh my god that's it I've got a brain tumor you know you've got issues and you think what could that be and the way that our medical system works is it just basically um, works to a prescribed tick box system that doesn't really 
cope well with these new up-and-coming conditions that the world is having, the, all these autoimmune system issues that are suddenly coming out of nowhere, dementia, Alzheimer's, all these neural issues that weren't necessarily as prevalent as they are now, our medical system isn't coping and our mental health system isn't coping with it. So we've um, done a great job in bringing mindfulness to the forefront and self-awareness and trying to break down stigma and um, educate people on how they can help themselves. But that has not been happening in Syria. That is nothing anywhere near has been happening. So in Syria, if you mention that you've got depression, you're basically at risk of losing work, um, losing careers. The way they term things, I'm tired. That's all you get. So, you know, for all the things they've been through, um, you'll get, I'm tired. So-and-so is not coming today, she's tired. Well, that's code for depressed, ill, anxious, overwhelmed, um, because they don't have such a thing as talking about mental health over there. So we've had that cultural block to have to overcome to get them used to the fact that in this country we acknowledge trauma, we acknowledge... They don't even have a word for trauma. Um, so the way I tried to do it, I was a bit naive. I think I was a bit too quick. Um, so in the first year... I got a lady called Caroline Rowling to do some stress management for them in a project that I did for 12 weeks at the Wildlife Trust where I was educating, the, the parents were educated upstairs while the kids were being led um, by creative, artistic people doing work with them and having fun. So we did a six-week stress management course and to start with, they just didn't get it. They just didn't. And they were giggling and they were like, what is this? And some people dropped out and the men refused to do it, point blank refused. Um, and, and slowly but surely, I think some of the ladies did appreciate it and could see how it could help. And we had one lady say that she was teaching the techniques to her sister while the bombs were going off around her heads <sighs> in Syria. So, you know, we had some good stuff come from that. But I think... Four years later, it's a lot easier for them to understand now why I did that. And so I'm looking forward to revisiting that with them as soon as this stupid COVID thing goes away. Does it help that um, when you get uh, new people come over, if you have new people come over, they meet with the people that have been here for a while and they can sort of say, no, this is, this is good. Yes, yeah. they've trailblazed for them. So it's easier and quicker for them to um, integrate to our systems and our ways because of the fact that the people that were here before have done that first. So, yeah. What, so we did... Sorry, go No, on. no, sorry, sorry. I was going to say um, about, uh, social aspects and things mm. like this. What do you guys put together so that you can get these folks together and let them have yeah. a good time together? Well, that was I know it's hard at the moment. Cause, yeah. A lot of what we did with the research, um, I made sure I researched as much as I could and I still do and I network across the, the country and... Um, find out what other people are doing and trailblazers in different parts of the country and uh, attend conferences and mental health conferences and basically out of that psychosocial support still is seen as the best way of helping these guys mm. because it emulates the society they've come from where people are in groups of women groups of men and they do things together like cooking or making stuff um so I started a men's group when I brought a trauma and resilience trainer in from Leicester to talk to them about what they're feeling and experiencing. Um, that went on a monthly basis last year and it stopped, obviously, but we are starting up again. And um, with the women, we did a women's group and they would get together every Monday in the Quaker meeting rooms and um, 
eat, drink coffee, chat. I would bring in sometimes someone to run a workshop with them, um, keep the kids busy. Volunteers would come in and we'd ch- make friends and chat with them and they'd drink coffee and they would teach us Syrian dancing and um, and we'd eat their delicious food. So that oh, they were the good days when we could do all that and I can't wait to get that started again. Yeah. Um, Have you had to adapt to like Zoom and things like that? Have oh, it's just tra- not the same, is it? I know, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, we are. I know. I, I just got my little boy back into taekwondo, which is great. Um, he hadn't been for about a year, about eighteen months, because he was too tight. He was too young at the time. But we were chatting to the people uh, that we used to see when we went there, and they were saying they were doing like on Zoom, like training, like uh, sessions. And they were like, yeah. it was amazing because it was one on one, you know. You but it's still go and see the other kids and being around that environment. Yeah, it's, it'd be nice. We're toying with starting our craft and chat group up again, only doing that online. So. People maybe do a project together and then come together every week to talk about it. Um, what about the kids? Um, say you say they go to schools. Are there nurseries and things available as well? Or mm-hmm. and how how hard is it for a child? I don't know, three, four doesn't speak English. Probably not going to be able to speak English for another year or two. You know, ah, the most no, basic let me level. get <laughs> those children learnt English within six months. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. oh, that's they good. Will. They'll pick yeah. it up very quickly. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's more when you get to the sort of um, exam level and okay. they, you know, go into school, their English language skills are very low mm. and they, they're dealing with technical information and it's really difficult. You, yeah, know, you can yeah. imagine being in a GCSE class and not understanding what's going on because your level of English isn't good enough. Mm. So you're having, you know, you've got that double whammy of having to try and learn English at the same time. You're expected to be able to pick up this information in terms of the exam system. Mm. And it is really difficult for them. It's really difficult at that level. And for the schools. Very hard for them to know what to do. So one of the things we did last year was, um, was collaborate with Concord College. Every year they've offered a lot of our students um, places on their summer school for the last couple of years. Uh, Shrewsbury School developed a homework club so all the, all the kids were going there and peer-to-peer support was happening that was great wasn't mm-hmm. it um, but one of the examples of how we fill service gaps is that right back at the beginning I realized that there was nobody in the schools to integrate the children in this entire scary scary time for them mm-hmm. so we were very lucky to have a lady called Karimann Yakul, who came on board at very early days who was a TA she was also from Jordan so she spoke Arabic so I managed to get her into those schools where the children were and she would go in in a voluntary capacity and help to support them and to ease that integration and um, eventually over talks over a year we developed a role for her for the, from the education department. Now she's the official Syrian resettlement coordinator in the schools. So those kind of service gaps we've been able to fill through the goodwill of the community and um, and the, the people that speak Arabic in this county that have come forward and helped me out so much. So we can do these sorts of things. You know, we, we liaise with the schools. We've got a couple of English teachers that we um, can engage with the children or the adults and give extra support to them. Um, you know, we, we're just always trying to think of creative ways of helping things, easing things, yeah. for the, especially like Robert said, for the teenagers. So. Yeah. You know, we do things in the school holidays with them, um, family activity days, 
and um, we're going to be growing and developing all of our services over the next year and things that we haven't had time to do such as the city of sanctuary projects which i'm so excited about but i've never had the real time to initiate it which is a massive um network of people and organizations and businesses across the country and i'm part of the city of sanctuary group and we network and we share ideas and we promote and share resources and part of that is a sector a section called schools of sanctuary where you can basically go into schools and work with them on a portfolio so they get a award at the end of it that says we are a school of sanctuary and this is why and this is the work that we've produced and um, the the talks you know the discussion points and the the classes that are based around the topics that are relevant, educating the children on not being afraid and, integ- and integrating well with people from different countries. So Beautiful. All sorts of I things. love that you're networking across the country and you guys are all ch- chat. Yeah, there's some exciting just, I mean, projects. We did nothing but run down social media at the beginning of the show, but there are useful things that you can... You know, Definitely. Mm, it's yeah. all about filtering out the rubbish. Yes, um, um, how can people get in touch with you and uh, to, to sort of volunteer and help you guys? And what do you, what are you after? You know. Well, I mean, uh, we are we're in a process of um, moving to charity status. We hope. Um, we will. We will be moving to charity status. Yes, yeah, so we're a community interest company at the moment, and we'll be moving to what's known as a CIO, which is a charitable incorporated organisation. Um, so we're in the process of doing that, which will provide a more structured approach to the organisation. And we'll have a board of trustees, which will essentially be the governing body. Um, and we, you know, we want to sort of identify trustees with specific roles that are then supported by a, a volunteer role that has a um, particular focus. So um, that's all going on. We have, we do have quite a large body of volunteers um, already. Some of that is somebody who might come along for just an hour or so, give an hour of their time occasionally to other people like myself. I'm a volunteer, but you know I, I work with Amanda at least two days a week and, and probably more than that anyway. Um, so what we want to do is grow the organisation. Um, people can get uh, in touch with this directly. Shropshire supports refugees. Uh, we're developing Facebook. a new website, which hopefully will go live when the website maybe in. maybe even next week. That'd Very exciting. So that'll be a, you know nice new website that people nice. will be able to go on. Um, we want to, and it's important for us, I think, as we move forward, that we develop our support for the refugee uh, for the, the volunteers as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's not only supporting the refugees, but supporting that volunteer base in being able to. Uh, work effectively and develop their skills um, within that whole environment as well. So um, we can, you can, that people can get in touch with us by. So we've got a Facebook group where we um, basically it's a closed group, and it's don't apologise. Yeah, I'm taking pictures. I always do it. I mean, I, I, I take pictures as people go. Yeah. So the Facebook group is a closed group. Um, and it's designed for local people, really, and also a lot of the refugees are in there as well. Um, and that's where we do our requests, and I update people on what we're doing a lot more, and um, they can offer services or get in touch, and um, 
We've got a new office in town now in Swan Hill, 17A Swan Hill, so they could just pop by and yep. hope that we're there. Yep. Um, they can also contact us eventually through our new shiny website. And um, yeah, I think it's just a case of, we. I feel an obligation. If somebody comes to me and offers help, I will find a way of facilitating that one way or another. However, the reality is we haven't resettled new families for a year. So we have less and less need for face-to-face stuff at the moment because the ones that have been here for quite a while don't necessarily need that now oh, as yeah, much. Had that integration. But we are fully expecting to continue to resettle people through the new UK Global Resettlement Scheme, which is opening it up to other parts of the world. I don't know what our county's committing to yet, but when they do, we're going to be there to help them. And so then we will be able to really... Um, engaged volunteers with a lot more stuff face to face but for now what we're going to be doing is seeing if any of the volunteers that have approached us so far and we are well aware that we are um behind in in responding so because we're doing so much organizational stuff at the moment it's just a case of time really so when i've got the time there's at least 10 people waiting to be um, having a conversation with us and we're going to be asking them about other areas of their skill sets where they can maybe be on a more organizational basis helping us out until such time as we get the new families through and then they'll be in place to do the face-to-face um befriending it's a case of uh just keep in touch because there's going to be new opportunities opening up for you to be able to help um I was going to ask you something, and it's gone. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Yeah, no, this is exactly what I was going to ask, and I'm glad I remembered it, because I think it's important. What would you say to people that are listening to this going, oh, it's a load of tough. I can't believe, what was it talking about? Are there communities where people can actually join and learn about this sort of stuff? Do you know any of anything? I mean, I have a Facebook group. I have a Facebook page where I post... um, articles about the the global situation Mm -hmm. and i promote other people's projects and so if they go if you look for us um and like my shopshire supports refugees facebook page you'll see maybe um projects that might interest people Mm -hmm. um when you're when you mention talking about it do you mean debating discussing no more, um, more like being around people that that's going to offer um context you know because yeah, yeah that's really important I, when it comes to like the the, the comments on I don't know, a Shropshire Star article about yeah. something that gets quite nasty. I wouldn't ever encourage that because that, that can become quite toxic. But yeah. like when you're surrounded by people that was like, no, actually, like we, we used to think exactly the same. Yeah. And we had this conversation when we went to this thing and we actually learned as well. So like, you know, we appreciate, you know, I mean, because there are, like what I said at the beginning, like there are people that don't understand. So they, the only way they know to react is to, to be defensive. Yeah. Well, this is our awareness raising side. So we've always had that. I'll always do a talk for anybody mm. that asks me to go and do a talk. I do talks in schools, houses, churches, um, WI groups, similar. Anybody wants me to talk to them about about what they can do, what we do, and the and the global situation. We will do that. And. Um, Stuff like the City of Sanctuary and the Schools of Sanctuary projects will bring in opportunities for people to get engaged across the board. Um, And also, there's loads of projects that I 
nearly started and then because of time and COVID never got off the ground. So stuff with the local university in Shrewsbury. Um, just really inspiring discussions with David Clark where we were going to start um, like a social group for, for young adults, um, an international social group. We were going to merge it with Concord and Shrewsbury School. Phil Gittins was going to get involved. There was all this stuff going to happen. I know. <laughs> um, and then obviously COVID occurred and everything else got really busy and it was more crisis yeah. and firefighting really for me. So I'm really looking forward to being in a position next year to be able to roll out a lot more of this awareness raising opportunities, discussion opportunities, educational opportunities, um, opportunities for people to get involved or even start their own projects. You know, if anybody ever sees something and they go, oh, I'd like that, but I don't know, we don't do that in the county, then I would really encourage them to get in contact with me and I'll help them to do it. You know, because there's all sorts of little fundraising and awareness raising things that are going on across the country and we can easily emulate things like that and I can help them and support them. I don't, I don't want to be the only source of refugee and migrant information or help in the county. The more people that are doing it, the, the better. The more, the better. Yeah. So, you know, people like the Ellesmere Sculpture Park, they did this amazing project last year and it, um, cumul- it accumulated this, like, September, I think it was, where they had this garden that they'd opened by the lake in Ellesmere and there's this beautiful um, statue that was commissioned of a refugee child underneath a little wooden house and a labyrinth that was commissioned um, that gives you the experience of being a refugee so you're just walking around and coming to dead ends and coming to people you know making you go back or so a little place like Ellesmere is doing amazing things there's some stuff going on in Oswestry that I'm really impressed with there's stuff Anywhere in the county, anyone who wants to do something can, and then we will help them, support them, facilitate that, put them in touch with people, market it for them, um, raise awareness for them. We'll do what we can, really. And Refugee Week is an important um, date in the the calendar. I mean, Refugee Week, condensing something into a week, but, um, you know, that's a a really important uh, awareness-raising event again it's this year it had to event. be um, uh, virtual um, but it can be accessed can't it Refu- yeah I mean this this been- year we had to make it virtual but this wonderful woman called Nikki Holmes developed us a website called um, shropshirefugeeweek.org.uk and that is just full of all the offerings at that time that the creative people in the county um, wanted to make so we're going to build on that every year and also hopefully do live events again Um, and we've got this amazing book that got produced a guy called Paul Francis um, produced a a, a pamphlet with all the the, um, the poems that were developed for last year's refugee week and they've and some of the local artists have illustrated some of them and i've got a box of those in my office if anyone wants them they're about four pounds um and uh we can i think um paul will send them out in the post as well so you can get in touch with me about that but little things like that can be made um art can be made exhibitions can be held books can be created uh you know there's so many ways that that it can all happen and it's a lovely way of doing it as well, isn't it? So, oh. so yeah, that's um, there's never no ending to how many different ways we can raise awareness and educate and have an opportunity. Can to I just tell. say I am I am so happy with this interview. Thank I'm, you. <laughs> honestly, you've inspired me so much. You, you're just such an amazing speaker. Um, I've got something about real strong, independent people, passionate about what they what they they, they stand for. Um, 
and I've been so lucky to speak to yourself, Dean Harris. Um, yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Michelle John from Pegs. Um, yeah. Even Phil Gillum in his own way because he's he's very calm, he's very happy, and he doesn't really get angry. Yeah. But yeah, he's just this pillar of, of, of support for um, the town, you know? He's a fine example of what you need. You need people like me do a certain role. But I would not necessarily be very good at mediating in a group of teenagers that need to learn how to develop skills in conflict resolution, you know? Yeah. I'm probably not that great at doing that, but he's idea, brilliant at it. So there's someone for everything, yeah, isn't there, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think I've, I've really had to go through a personal process doing this because I've never run a company before. I've never even been a manager before. I was just, I came out of school with one GCSE. I've not been academic. I've dropped out of college courses till I'm blue in the face. I've worked in the end in, in the caring professions because that's what I, I was passionate about, whether it was disabled children or kids in the care system. I was a deputy once in a care home, but really no experience of running an organization at all. So you can very much, you can find yourself on a day-to-day basis going, I can't do this. Who am I to do this? You know, what am I doing sitting around the table with these people um, developing services in the county, you know? Yeah, but um, you're a natural leader as well. I mean, who, who, who else is banging the drum? You know, yeah. who else going, but you're doing that. You're, you're, See, you're I'm, the one. Mm. I'm not sure I'm a leader. I think I'm just a really enthusiastic person. But if people are flocking towards you and because yeah. of ideas you've had, you are, you're a natural leader. Oh, thank you. Believe it or not, you're a leader. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm not. I'm not a very good people manager. So when we're trying <laughs> to develop so ourselves <laughs> into a formal organization, I'm having to recruit people and have people on board like Robert and, um, you know, the people in the world that can do that really well so I that I can carry on. I your book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm used, I, I always explain to people, like, I'm the same, I'm exactly the same. And I'm yeah. like, all I can do is sit in front of a microphone and, and, and sound good sometimes but you know? not many people can do that so that's oh. your role and mm, that's exactly. what I think standing in your power is acknowledging what you're good at mm, and celebrating lane. that and trying not to beat yourself up for not being able to do all the other stuff yeah. so which is why um, I got in touch with, with, with Chris Goff who I'm speaking to at the moment um, he is um, he's helping us become a CIC because yeah. we, we, we feel what we're doing for Shrewsbury is important oh, yeah, definitely. Um, to get funding so we can have our own studio and our own stuff and I have to. Um, I, I want to. I want Completely. people to take it seriously. So, so yeah. But big shout out to Chris Goff from CGR uh, Business Solutions Limited. There's a sneaky little advert there. Nice. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I can't do it. I can't do exactly. all that sort of stuff. So I've just brought in a HR company. I've already got an accountant, but I've just changed them. We've brought in um, an IT Continue. company. Um, we're bringing in an admin person. You know mm. because. I've basically got four years of admin to catch up on. You should, uh, you, should, you should get some mics and do some podcasting. Seriously. Yeah. People would be interested in, in this, hearing the stories of these people, yeah. the, the, the trials and tribulations they've been through, the traumas. Yeah. People would love that. Yeah, I know. That, you know, funny enough, though, they don't want to talk about it. Uh, well, Can you yeah, blame them? Can't, it's can't blame reliving them all that hell on earth, you know. So there might be a time when they do want to, mm. uh, but right now, not the case. But um, so many exciting things are happening in the future that um, I'd like... Maybe an opportunity to come back and talk to you about. You're welcome back anytime. Come back tomorrow if you like. (laughs) Enjoyed this. When I've got, when I feel like I've caught up a little bit from this last year, Mm -hmm. the stuff that we've got ahead of us next year is so exciting, and I'm pulling together a a group of conventional and um, complementary medical people, so doctors, rheumatologists, Mm -hmm. um, GPs. 
and their <coughs> holistic therapists to try and create a realistically accessible pathway for healing for people that have had extreme trauma, which doesn't exist in this county at the moment. So we've got certain services in place, but helping people to engage in those is one thing. The other thing is um, the cost of, you know, getting better. So I've, I've told you I've got fibromyalgia. Well, I manage that through a number of different ways that cost a lot of money and they are not <coughs> accessible for most people, especially people on benefits. So my idea is just um, to get some funding through the door for men- through mental health funding pots yeah, yeah. and develop that pathway. So when that's a little bit more um, come to fruition, I'll come back and tell you about it. Well, maybe we can share notes. I've, I've, I've spent a month speaking to spiritual healers, um, oh, yeah. uh, convergence healing, and uh, all sorts of uh, the whole month uh, working with TV guests, but over in, in New York, and they were sending oh, me yeah. people to to speak to. Um, I'll show you some of the links to the show. Honestly, this guy uh, that I spoke to, um, Peter Bedard, his name was. He was a he was a found dancer um, whose body got destroyed in a car crash, and Western medicine helped put him together, but it didn't help him heal. Mm. You know, so he had to learn how to meditate and how to certain teas to drink and certain ways to exercise and to to put his body back together and to deal with the pain and things. So, Mm. yeah, Mm. I've I've been on a journey of discovery. I'd love to know more about that because that's what we're talking about and it's new innovation it's new ways of thinking out the box it's new treatments it's new discoveries and I hate to say it most of them are coming from America like you said but I make it my absolute job and hobby to be constantly watching stuff about it well he said he knows someone from Ireland actually that might be able to help so that's that's a bit closer so I'll I'll give you his details Mm -hmm. after this you guys have been fantastic you've Uh, been great as well yeah thank you um so the website, get, let me know when the website's open. We'll yeah, the happen. new one. Yeah. Don't go to the old one. It's, probably, it's outdated. <laughs> I haven't touched it for four years. It's my fault. I didn't. I haven't been updating it. So, I mean, you know, it's there. But um, no. the new one's going to be um, a bit more. To the to the listeners listening as well, I, I want you guys to give these guys a follow. Give them your support. And and if you if you are hard of understanding of what's going on, try just try just join join the site the Facebook page, listen to what people have got to say and try and open your mind a little bit. I just, I would love to encourage people to do that because, um, you know, you've got, once you have the understanding, I'd love to take people for a week to Syria. Let's just show you what these guys are living in. Mm. Let's do that because... You can apparently get um, a virtual reality game or it's a program, like a documentary on virtual reality that will let you walk through Syria. Oh. I mean, that is going to be an eye-opener. I don't know, my friend told me about it the other day. I've, um, I've closed my book, but I did make oh, a note. Sorry. No, 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 I did. No, 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 I did that. I don't know why I closed it. Closed, so, uh, but I wrote Jack Ryan. I don't, it sounds a weird thing, but I watched the first series of Jack Ryan on Amazon with uh, John Krasinski mm. at the office. Amazing, because it's all based in Syria, and it's about this warlord whose family have to run away, mm. and Jack Ryan has to go and find them and make sure that they're safe because they're going to testify against this warlord. And like the, the, the their journey across Syria, mm. and they get to the beaches where they're, all those people are getting put on boats, and, and yeah. the, the trauma and every, oh, that is one oh, of the I most. Watched that. I would I would absolutely recommend it because it's. I have to be careful these days. I can't watch too much traumatic stuff. It makes me into a jibber. But it's got John Krasinski. He's a bit of eye candy. Yeah. It's brilliant, though. It is really good. It it, it is quite intense. It is quite intense. But I like that because it's not 
some American, I mean, I know it is American, but it's also an American movie that shows America kicking ass. It's, it's a, it's a real, very real show yeah, real that displays thing. very yeah. real situations. It's it? getting a bit better over there with the way they make films and things, isn't it? <laughs> um, one of the things I'd like to do when I get a bit more time is put together the opportunity for people who really don't understand to have a coffee with somebody that has been through it, a lived experience. Perfect. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a, one for the pot that I'm going to, be dipping into next year but you know i think that well, would maybe be we can really do it useful, podcast. That'd be cool. mm. uh, a more real situation would be better but mm. thank you very much for thank joining you. us guys uh listeners i hope you really enjoyed that episode i know it's been a bit longer but if you've got any suggestions comments you want to get involved uh please uh you can get in touch with us for the website actually which is www.theshrewsbybiscuitpodcast.co.uk and that's very lovingly made for us by our friends at web orchard uh, if you need a website go and check them out um also this uh, episode has been recorded at the parade shops which is uh, behind st mary's church a beautiful shopping center uh, lots going on here it's very bright very colorful if you want a, a cupcake go see crystals if you want to go for a nice coffee there's the river view you want to take your kids to go and paint pottery this splot and splodge in in, in the uh, in the corner there and of course there's us as well it's the most excellent vegan shop in here there is michelle at the vegan hub she's awesome mm-hmm. um, she's great she'll look after you if you're vegan and the uh, japanese shop <laughs> Setting a kai across the way. Yeah, (laughs) this place is amazing. Thank you very much again, guys. It's been awesome. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.